Hello. Hello. Are we there? Hey, um, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, well, those of you who listen to this in the in the um, future won't hear that silence. Um, I forgot to get myself tea, and I thought I had more time than I did. But I have tea, and I'm here. So, yeah, here we go. Why is there a question mark there? Huh. It's really interesting. Okay. Oh, I never noticed that before. There's a. I can tell when somebody's muted on my when they've muted themselves on my really board. Yeah, I didn't. I'm not sure that was there before. In what way they've muted themselves? I don't know. It just is muted along the side. Huh. Since it's Lady Holder, we can ask her, how are you muted, Lady Holder? She's the only one that has it. Maybe muting through blog talk? But that would make I sense. I don't know. Well, she's calling, she's calling in. I mean, it's a little weird if they can tell that I've pressed the mute button on my phone. She says she's in queue. Whatever that means. I've never actually called in as a caller. So Okay, I'm gonna mute my phone. You tell me if you see a mute. Okay. I do not see a mute. Well, I call in the same way she does. Oh, she said she pressed mute. Like like what, when you were calling in? Or you pressed mute on your phone? Well, it's bizarre. I can see it. I've, I've never seen it before. Did you accident? Did you mute her? I would imagine you could do it. Yeah, I mean, I can do it. Obviously, uh, yeah, you know, I can mute and unmute. But this is a little question mark. Beside, maybe it's telling me that there's something going on with her connection. Let her call in. Weird. Something about the way she. I don't know. Anyway. Anyways, mystery. Friday Night Mystery, I decided that um, it would be kind of fun to take uh, different characters and put them through the Sentinel process um, and maybe even do a little canon divergent um, stuff as well. Uh, so, you know, to just pick, give people some ideas and, you know, kind of open it up a little bit as we get closer to people who are going to be plotting for their nano. Um, some people need a lot of time to plot. Oh, uh, there's somebody in my podcast going, oh, that's in November, Kira. We don't need that much time. You don't need that much time. But there are plenty of people who are already planning their nano. True. I'm not that um, person, but there are people who are. Every, I have almost, a vague every idea time I to, what I'm going to do for nano. I don't. Every time I try to plot that far in advance, I find that my mood is completely different by the time November rolls around. Or the other thing that could happen is that I get so jazzed about an idea that it kills me to sit on it, and I have to start it. So 
it it just it's never particularly um, worked well for me. No, Nano November is not a Sentinel challenge. It's Canon Divergence, which implicitly would rule out Sentinel. Um, unless you're riding but, the Sentinel. <laughs> yeah, unless you're riding the Sentinel. Yeah. Like if you, you, but if you were to, I think if you were to do a, a canon divergence of the Sentinel, where you wanted like a Sentinel, like people who weren't Jim Ellison to be the Sentinel, you would have to do a, like an emergence arc where Sentinels started emerging in greater numbers, which would be canon divergence, and it could be very interesting, but it would have to be, still be a spinoff from the Sentinel itself. I do think that your story, where the 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 Sentinel traits have been um, buried because of actions, and there's a pair that guard the Sentinel Temple. Remember, mm-hmm. you told me that. I think that would be a canon divergence. That could be, yeah. You know, Tony getting invited invited her to to guard the temple would be a canon divergence, depending on where you did it in the, in the canon. Yeah. But basically, I want to talk about how. Um, how canon divergence is really broad and I don't want people coming into the challenge being intimidated by that. So I thought that just over, you know, lots of podcasts for the rest of the year coming up into November that we would kind of like noodle canon divergent ideas across a lot of topics. And tonight that topic is Harry Potter as a Sentinel. So... Did I not give them the right link? No, I gave the right link. You might want to ref. Oh, she can't hear me. <laughs> I should just put at the beginning of every podcast. Refresh. <laughs> that way, it's always okay. relevant. But uh, we gotta. You gotta get you a uh. Um, I've tried it. If you've got Google, you can sign up for a phone number through Google um, if you've got a Gmail account and call in through the pod, directly to the podcast from that. So, or call in through Skype or whatever. Um, I I would I gave up listening to the podcast through um, Blog Talk directly. It's torture for me. It Blog Talk and Mac are not friends. <laughs> blog talk has a serious hate on for max i don't know what it is but i would have to reboot multiple times to get sound and make sure nothing was running but one browser and you know me i gotta have my three browsers running with like 50 tabs open in each of them i cannot deal right. with the limitations blog I talk i only run on blog talk on chrome it won't run on um, Firefox or um, that stupid Microsoft one uh, at all for me. Yeah, I only had success with it in Chrome too, but that's not really good because Chrome is a memory hog. So it is. It caught you know. Yeah, it's not. It's not pretty. Um, Chrome will eat up all your active memory. But I, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. That um, she has a, she has a, um, a a Mac, and so 
these are going to be persistent, I would try to figure out a way to call in directly either through Skype or um, either through Skype or through yeah, the Google chat. The Google phone service, it's just not a good friend. No, okay, I just so. got to call into the podcast myself as a host, so that's just more comfortable than trying to do it on my cell phone, and I no longer have a house phone, which is so weird. Even now, three years later, it's really bizarre not to have a house phone. Yeah, I held on to my house phone until I, I moved, left California, and when we got up here, you know, my sister was like, I don't, we, we never use, the only thing, she said this specifically, the only thing you ever used your house phone for was calling into the podcast. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> but I don't know why I persistently held on to it for so long, because it wasn't even a true landline, right? It came through my cable provider. So, yeah, ours was through our cable provider, too, now that I think about it. And... um uh, I got internet and the phone number through it. Yeah, and when the internet bizarre. went down, your 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 phone went down basically. So so it was like it uh, it was no different than having Skype, <laughs> which I do now. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like if I'm using a soft, basically a software phone anyway, I might as well just just embrace the madness. Um, but yeah, it's weird to get away from it. You know, there's whole generations out there who will never have had a landline. They won't even have any idea what that is. I remember that there was that kid on The Voice who sang that song, um, Hello Operator. Uh, who, who sings that song? Operator. It's a really old song. And he actually asked um, Adam Levine what an operator was. Oh, you mean the Jim Croce song? Yes. Did a good job singing it. It was really cute. Cute boy um, from Hawaii, 17, 18, maybe 16, young, pretty, um, had no idea what an operator was. Well, it's like those that video that went around of those kids trying to figure out how to use a rotary phone, and they kept pressing yeah. on it and do, moving it a little bit, but not enough to actually dial any specific number. So you but they couldn't figure out. Around. Yeah, I am. I remember, I mean, we remember rotary phones. I mean, they, they weren't. They weren't. They weren't push buttons for most of my childhood. But I do remember rotary phones. But yeah, so canon divergence in Harry Potter is a sentinel. Hmm. This will be this will be fun for me because I've been so off Harry Potter lately. I'll have to see if the creative energy is will <laughs> will, will happen in any way. I I. I almost decided. I almost tried to go back to my browser history to figure out what it was that triggered me so bad that I double birded the whole fandom. Um, but then I wow. decided to do this myself. <laughs> it's yeah, not a permanent work. thing. Not a permanent thing. It's just a. It's just I got to get over this this like, ooky feeling I get when I think about it. So. And there's plenty of ooky things in the Harry Potter fandom. <laughs> no shortage. It doesn't take much to find something. Now, I've written Harry Potter as a sentinel, and I've written him as a guide. Um, and I did a little short prompt 
for the Drabble Challenge in the Writer's Table, where Harry is a guide and Hermione is a sentinel. Um, I uh, Most of the time, I have a headcanon regarding a character and how they are a sentinel or a guide to me, and it's just kind of like permanent. Like, I could never write John Shepard as a guide. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I'm more rigid about my sentinels than I am about my guides. Um, there are there's there's there are some, but I guess it's the same thing. There are some characters I can only see as sentinels. Therefore, implicitly, I could never write them as a guide. So it's the same thing. Yeah. But a lot of the characters I see as guides, I could see them as sentinels. So it's just. I can write Tony Zanozo as a sentinel or a guy, depending on his match. Yeah, I prefer him. I actually prefer Tony as a sentinel. I've written him as a guide way more because I pair him with people I'm completely inflexible about. Like Ian? I just like sentinel. And I think Steve is, too. I've I've seen some people write (laughs) Steve McGarrett as a a guide, and I've enjoyed it on occasion, but it always sits oddly with me. I can read it, but because of the fact that it sits oddly with me even when I'm kind of enjoying it, I I couldn't write it. it it's just it, I don't see Gibbs as a guy. I thought, although the funny thing is, my first exposure to the Sentinel outside of the Sentinel fandom itself was um, NCIS stories. It may even be what brought me into the because I was my first fandom after um, X Files was the Sentinel, and it, Sentinels was still on the air, and um, I read a crossover episode with NCIS, and Tony was the guide, and Gibbs was a sentinel, a very reluctant, I mean, we're getting, I'm sorry, Tony was a sentinel, and Gibbs was the guide, and he was a very reluctant guide at that, he didn't really want to do it. Um, I can't see Gibbs as a guide, he's so, um, it would, yeah, he's so, <laughs> it, seemed, it seemed like he wouldn't be the type, and that was the problem, is he didn't have the mental flexibility, really, to be a guide, Um but I read several stories with that pairing, that dynamic where Tony was a sentinel and 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 Gibbs was a guide, and so that was it. that was the first thing I really read. Then I get more into the NCIS fandom, and the more that struck me as strange. But the um, the way that person's world building was was interesting because um, the um, the dynamic they set up was that J- Jim and Blair were the oddballs in in that war in their in the world, in that Blair was a little younger a little bit more um, open-minded, that usually sentinels were young and kind of, you know, new into their senses, and guides were the older, more mature, literally guiding them through learning how to use their abilities. And so it was very common for the sentinel to be younger and the guide to be older, more mature kind of thing. So they had kind of built some interesting world building where Jim and Blair were, were the oddballs in, in their setup. Um, mm-hmm. So it kind of worked in that sense, but overall it kind of just sat oddly with me because if I were to see Gibbs in any particular role, it would definitely be as a sentinel. So, yeah, and Can and Tony actually has exceptional eyesight and exceptional sense of smell. Um, so I think people followed that on to and this, this, him being this a is sentinel. One of those things, this is one of those things where people don't challenge their own perceptions a little bit. Because I could see that somebody goes, "What's the? Ca- I want to write a sentinel in another fandom." And Tony is got exceptional senses in canon, 
So I'm going to make Tony a sentinel, but who do I pair him with as a guide? And instead of challenging the fandom, you know, OTP of Gibbs Dinozo, they don't, they, they put Gibbs in the role of guide, I think, and then they go, but it just doesn't work to me. Um, and sometimes you've got to really, I think, you know, like question that, because I think there were a lot of better choices in fandoms very similar to NCIS, like within CSI or Criminal Minds. Criminal Minds is only two years after NCIS in terms of its launch date. So, I just can't see Gibbs as a guide. It just, it just like it's out of a brick wall. Yeah, it 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 was. It's it's a difficult thing to. Ooh. I don't think Danny Williams is a good um, guide at all, actually, for anybody because he's very temperamental, and he's um, he's a shitbag. Okay, I'm never going to get over that whole thing where he banged another woman's another man's wife, even if that was his ex-wife. Um, the show I'm not going to get over it after that point. The show doesn't exist for me at that point, um, which is why if I ever write wife, it always exists, happens before that, or I find a way for that didn't didn't occur. And I would actually be more inclined to write Danny as a sentinel than a guide. Um, I've read stories where he's a guide, and I, I like it, but it's just this, some people slot strongly into the, the sentinel role for me, and actually Danny does. He doesn't gel in as a guide for me. I mean, he's not sentinel material the way Ian is. I mean, I can't even Ian, but I think in order to make Gibbs a sentinel, you would have to do um, an honorable sentinel. You would have to do a lot of retcon. Yeah, and I think you have to set it earlier in canon um, before you know Gibbs went completely. But the thing is, you can, in an AU, if Gibbs is a Sentinel and he has been a Sentinel for a long time, he, none of, uh, events would not have played out the same way. And, for, and actually, I think it's really bad writing when people write Gibbs as a Sentinel and have events play out the exact same way. Unless Gibbs is a dormant Sentinel. So... Um, I mean, that's something when you, it's something that I see a lot of times people failing to take into account is you cannot assume that the world is going to play out, the events are going to, the canon events are going to occur in the exact same way if there are sentinels and guys running around. It's like we talked about in the Harry Potter universe where Harry, if Harry abused in a world where sentinels can hear that kind of thing, I would think in a world where sentinels are relatively common, you know, even if they're 1% of the population or half a percent of the population, things like child abuse are going to be dramatically reduced. Because sentinels in an area are going to hear that kind of thing. They're going to hear people hitting their wives or their husbands. They're going to hear children being hurt. And, you know, they're going to smell blood on people and they're going to know things are wrong. Um, so... I don't actually think conventional soundproofing would work well with Sentinels. And actually putting up any kind of white noise generators around your house, I think would actually draw their attention. Like, what are you hiding? It's just, it's something to worth considering if you're, if you're writing a Sentinel story is, 
you know, what's going on in your world. You know, some things Moreover, are not going to be the same. What kind of legislations and rules do they have for sentinels regarding the privacy of others? I've never delved into it, but I'm I'm curious um, as to how that would work because um, even an average sentinel could sit down in a public place like a mall and get all the material he could possibly need to blackmail people, follow them home. Then suddenly you get a note in your mailbox. Hey, I noticed you're begging your secretary. I'm going to need you to send me this much money every week so I don't tell your wife. That this this issue is exactly why I tend to write sentinels as almost uncorruptible because right, if too. they start going bad, <laughs> if they start going bad, they become dormant because it's like it's almost like it's a spiritual calling that if they flip to the dark side as it were, they become dormant because otherwise society would not trust sentinels. If sentinels can be corrupt, if they can be like mob figures or something like that, if they can be criminals, they would be hunted, and they'd be probably hunted to extermination. Because there'd be no keeping secrets from them. There'd be no keeping anything from them. So, I mean, I get a, that's how I get around that. Um, yeah, Alex, Alex, it was a corrupted sentinel, it's true in canon, but sentinels weren't common in canon either. And the reason why Jim couldn't come out of the closet was because he the the real fear of what would happen to him, that he would disappear. So I think if you're going to do a sentinels are known verse, you have to really take into account that you can't just assume that, you know, you can't if you're Dismissing canon to make sentinels and guides are known, clinging to the canon about Alex doesn't make any sense. What I would also say is that any population is subject to insanity, um, and it would be a mistake to assume that a sentinel or a guide isn't capable of insanity, like Alex. I would say that Alex on the show was, was clinically insane. Um and I think given enough time that her gifts would have gone dormant because she wouldn't have been able to control them because that requires a rational mind. But she wasn't given enough time to get that far gone. <clears throat> she would have eventually lost complete control of her senses and would have zoned out permanently and died. Or gone dormant, like Jim did when he was traumatized. No, she didn't try to kill Blair. She did kill Blair. And Jim brought him back. Exactly. But in a Sentinel and God universe that's known, the politics behind um, killing a guide would be much more, it would be a very big deal to kill a guide when a sentinel, like in the in the universe canon for that, most often a guide is required for a sentinel to function 
So killing a guide would be a high crime. And if governments value sentinels the way they often do, then killing somebody who has the potential to make a a sentinel a high-value asset would be probably a federal crime in the United States. Yeah, I would think so. It would probably also be a special circumstances crime if they were killed because they were a guide. There's a lot of misogyny in the Sentinel fandom. It's not just Alex um, and the whole... um, Female sentinels are crazy and horrible, uh, but there's a lot of misogyny in the sentinel fandom. And it's not just showing up with the female characters. It also shows up in how Blair is portrayed, 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 because often in that fandom, Blair is treated like a weak female and often he is abused for that vulnerability um, in his role as the feminine part of their pairing. That whole girl with the dick syndrome thing that happens in um, the, the Sentinel fandom is rooted in misogyny. Mm-hmm. And considering how many women write fan fiction, it's rooted in internal misogyny. Yes, but ugly. Yes. I when I wrote The Awakening, the only information I had about characters came from fan fiction. So my portrayal of Jim's ex wife comes purely from how other fan fiction writers treated her and how her what her behavior was. I made her a bitch. Because I thought she was a bitch. And I still don't know really if she was a complete bitch or just sort of a bitch or kind of a fun bitch. Because I've never watched all the show. (laughs) Well, I mean, I didn't ever... I I don't recall. I don't think she was in much of the show, to be honest. Um, And she was... She was pretty benign as things go, those things go. I mean, she was, I thought she was kind of a non-entity, but the whole, the whole trend in the Sentinel fandom of treating female characters associated in any fashion with the, um, you know, the, the slash OTP of choice, the popular slash OTP, it, that is not uncommon. There, that is, that has been going on forever. Um, where female characters are treated very badly, um, bashed terribly, and made into raging bitches because I guess that's the only way to break up a couple or something. I don't know. Um, It's actually such a pet peeve of mine that if I'm going to break somebody up, um, like break up like a canon couple in order to make my pairing happen, I'm not going to bash the, the, do my best not to bash 
um, the female that I'm removing from the pairing because it just really bothers me that, that, that that's the only way people can come. You know, for a long time it felt like the only way people could come up with to break a couple up was to make the female character be a total monster. I bash two female characters. Jenny Weasley, because she literally served no purpose and I hate her. And Jennifer Keller, because she could have been so much more and the writing was terrible. Yeah, she was. But I thought she, I actually did think she was awful. That episode was was terrible ethics. I think her ethics were terrible. It was the writing. It was the writing that really, she just, it was like they put this pretty little girl in the spot and they really didn't have a fucking thing. They just, the ethics, judgment. But I don't, I, I, I wouldn't just, bash, Ke- I wouldn't bash Keller any harder for her ethics, though, than I do um, Carson Beckett. They're, but all their ethics are really questionable. So, but I don't bash her because she's, was a female character in relationship with Rodney. I mean, if I would not, I would portray her positively because I didn't like her character, which is completely different. Um, I will say that I'm kinder to Pepper Potts than I want to be in stories. I don't give her a lot of screen time when I write an MCU, but I really didn't like, I thought her relationship with Tony Stark in canon made me uncomfortable. Um, it's, you know, it's shades of Jennifer Keller. Yeah, yeah. I have a but real she just comes par- with- I have a real problem with people who purposely go into a relationship with somebody else with the intent of changing that person to suit themselves. Which is exactly but for what no other feels reason. Like them for no other reason to make themselves happy. They're not trying to improve that person's life. They're not trying to get good things for that person or help that person overcome something. They want to reshape that person to suit themselves. And it is profane. I don't know how you can say that you love Tony Stark Iron Man, which is what Pepper said, basically, over and over and over again. Yeah. And I have, I mean, my, my, the plot device I use every time I write MCU to have Tony and Pepper break up is that Pepper asks Tony to choose between um, her and being Iron Man, and Tony can't make that choice. So he says he's not giving up Iron Man. That's the plot device I always use because I feel like it is entrenched in canon. And that's why I do it. Now, um, it would be a lot more fun to write her just being horrible, but I just, I feel like that her behavior is that that's basically what she is putting on Tony all the time. I mean, in Infinity War, and yes, I'm giving spoilers for Infinity War, but if you haven't seen it yet, what are you waiting for? Um, when to- when Part two fucking- coming out? Yeah, well, yeah, maybe. Well, there's a fucking spaceship 
right, that has is, that is already destroyed part of New York, that is leaving orbit, right? And she is telling Tony to stop, to stop, to come back. Don't, don't, don't engage with this. You better not be dealing with that shit. That was like the least supportive I could imagine somebody being in that situation was the way she reacted to Tony engaging with a hostile alien threat. What did she think he was going to do? She was impressing so, upon him her wishes and her desires. And the only the only appropriate response from her would have been, I love you, be mm-hmm. careful, kick their ass. <laughs> yeah. It's like, to me this is like a cop going, who gets called out to a hostage situation. And he gets a call or she gets a call from their spouse who says, you better not be at that hostage situation. Who did you think you were marrying? It's just bullshit. It's bullshit. Yeah. And that's the way she behaves throughout canon, which is why even if Tony and and Pepper are friends in my stories, I just use what, what I see as her behavior in canon as my reason for breaking them up is that she doesn't want Tony to be Iron Man anymore. And I believe that's true. I believe in canon. She would rather Tony hang up this, put the suit away. She's also a shitty CEO, but, you know, there you go. Um, okay, so now we have to do the plot drift because I actually have art. <laughs> you have art, okay. Okay, so I'm going to put a little note on here. No, the first 30 minutes of this podcast... <laughs> Was not the plot drift. All right, so let's drift on Harry being a sentinel. Okay, if you were going to make him a sentinel, when would you have him come online? Um, well, the only time I've ever plotted a sentinel fic, I had Harry come in online after within a fairly short period. This is the plot I had, was that Harry came online from being in the cupboard from being locked in there. So really young, so like two years old. And what I, I have a couple of moments. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I think what I thought in that instance was that Harry was in distress and the Durbles weren't responding to him. And Harry's spirit animal, which is a magical animal, a unicorn actually, I think what I plotted that time, just marched into the S&G Center and kind of demanded some attention. Oh, I, I remember that one. Yeah. Oh, and they're like, what the fuck? Is that a unicorn? <laughs> Why do we have a unicorn? Dude, somebody has a unicorn spirit animal. Why don't I have a unicorn spirit animal? And they're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I think the moment, the, the moments you pick also depend on what Harry is. If Harry's a guide, um, I would look towards some kind of internal emotional trauma. But as a sentinel, I, I, I'm i torn between two moments. Watching the murder of his mother. And when Remus wolfs out on them and season in um, year three because that's an immense threat 
um, and if his, for him to have an emergence, like a, a sentinel emergence, it would be like. Phew. I did coo over a spirit animal. Can you imagine a baby unicorn? <laughs> can you? I can because I saw Sybil's art. <laughs> There's the baby unicorn. It just marched right in there and goes. I need help. Not literally, but I mean. <laughs> just stopping his little foot. <laughs> yep, exactly. Fucking adorable. That's a problem. The Derbies are going to get their ass. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think having him come online um, due to his treatment at the Derbies makes a lot of sense. Um, but also, he, you pick moments of severe trauma. Uh, and watching his mother murdered would be severe. I mean, it would be a shock to his system, both as a magical um, and as a burgeoning sentinel. But then you have to wonder, would he understand what happened to his mother at that age? Would he understand that that curse meant that she was dead? Because that has play as well. Mm-hmm. Well, the curse hitting well, him. don't understand death like that. He's like 15 months old. Is he even going to understand death? 15 or... He's 15 yeah, months old. Yeah, he's... Yeah. So he's not going to understand what death is. Now, that's an interesting moment. Hmm. Somebody mentioned that the moment he apparated the roof of his school, what if he didn't apparate to the roof of his school? What if he felt so threatened that it kind of activated his sentinel abilities and he apparated to the nearest sentinel or guide? I mean, how old was he? Six, seven, eight years old, somewhere in there? Somewhere in that area. He was under 11, of course, obviously. So, yeah. so let's say he's seven and he feels so, so threatened that he has a burst of – now this is where – when it comes to the plotting, this is where the world building really matters because you have to address the whole issue of that world building issue of do sentinels and guides exist in the magical world um, and what that looks like and how it changes the magical world. So – if they don't, if there's some kind of like block on them to prevent them from coming online or something, which is one way to handle the inconsistencies, um, he could he could just all the traumas have just been enough to cause him to break through that block, and he apparates the nearest adult guide or the nearest adult sentinel, and they'd be like, oh, <laughs> there's a child. <laughs> Or to his nearest, yeah, that would be surprising. Yeah, popping into Azkaban. Oh, we need to get the minister out here and um, maybe some unspeakables and um, a healer and uh, just just bring everybody. The boy who lived just apparated through our wars and he's in serious black cell. <laughs> we need everybody. 
my head canon is is that um, magical sentinels and guides, their spirits are also magical, so they protect them when they're unbonded. They shield them so that their gifts don't overwhelm and hurt them. Sherlock, why is there a child in our kitchen? <laughs> <laughs> there is a fic out there where Sherlock and John Watson raise Harry. It doesn't go well for Dumbledore. <laughs> no, it doesn't. There's also one where it's funny as fuck where um, Moriarty and Sebastian Moran raise Harry. That has the potential to be very bloody. Well, it is just funny, especially when um, they come in to the Hogwarts to deal with, you know, every time Harry gets hurt, they show up, basically, as I recall. I don't remember which issue, which which incident it was that Sebastian Moran basically started following Harry around the school over because he felt like he wasn't safe there. But I'm fairly certain that they shot at people at some point. The scene where they where Sebastian Moran started. Oh, I there was this. There's this. It's very early in the story where Hagrid breaks into their house to get Harry, and Sebastian Moran just unloads both of his guns into Hagrid, and he's like, "What?" And Hagrid's like, "Ow!" He's like, "What the fuck are you doing breaking down our door?" It's definitely cracky. I, mean, I haven't read it in a while, but it's definitely cracky. Obviously, it would have to be. But um, Moriarty and, and Sebastian Moran intimidating the fuck out of everybody at Hogwarts is hysterical. Because they don't the only way that could be better is, is James Bond raised Harry. That would be funny. Speaking of hometown mentors, have you guys seen the trailer for the new Shack? No. We've got Shaq Senior, Shaq Middle, and Shaq Junior. <laughs> After the podcast, you have to go over YouTube and watch the new Shaq preview, a theatrical trailer. Because I was like, no. And then I was like, okay, maybe. And then I was like, hell yes, give me, take, take all my money. <laughs> I was all in by the end of that two minutes. <laughs> Junior's the best. I'm so excited. I showed my mom the um, pre- uh, the preview for Hobbs and Shaw. That she about cried. She's so excited. She loves The Rock and she loves Straham. So it's like they they basically made eye candy porn for her, which is exactly how she put it. I was like, oh god, <laughs> hanging up now. So, if your Harry came online when he was young, before he goes to Hogwarts, would he keep it a secret? Uh, no. No. That's one of those things where I feel like it feels contrived 
for um, you have to do something where it just really was unavoidable, but often it comes off feeling contrived when circumstances change for Harry dramatically, and yet he still lives in the cupboard. <laughs> I just didn't. I no, really I don't hard mean time that. My... I mean, would he tell the people in the magical world that he's a sentinel? But the thing is, he comes online young. Would he have anything to do with wizarding, the wizarding world in Britain? It's not the obvious. I mean, there, it's often inevitable in stories where that Harry eventually winds up at Hogwarts. But um, sometimes, if you that's a, I find it's a little bit of a logical leap that's difficult for me. Um, I've read many a story where Harry is raised by somebody else and still goes to Hogwarts. But um, I mean, I just know that if I were if I knew what Dumbledore had done, um, and all things considered, I I don't know that I would want to put Harry under anywhere under Dumbledore's control if he if I had taken him in and raised him as a young sentinel or whatever. Here's what I would say about that. There are four people who know five who know what Dumbledore did with Harry Potter before Harry Potter comes into the magical world. Minerva, Dumbledore, Hagrid, Vernon and Petunia. They're the only ones that know where Harry Potter is until he gets his letter. Even Harry didn't know that Dumbledore dropped him on the steps like a bottle of milk. Does Harry ever get told that Dumbledore dropped him on the steps like a bottle of milk? I don't know in canon that he did. Now, Dumbledore eventually does... Well, Mrs. Fig, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mrs. Fig, such six. Um, Dumbledore does tell Harry eventually that he knew when he placed him with the Dursleys that he would have dark years, many dark years. But it also depends on when Mrs. Fig was put in the neighborhood. If Harry comes online in the cupboard when he's 15, 16 months old, Mrs. Fig might not be there yet. And by the time she gets there, Harry Potter could be gone. So you have to ask yourself, would Vernon and Petunia tell the authorities that this wizard dropped Harry off on the front steps? She might. I mean, it might depend might. on how much trouble. It might depend on how much trouble she's. But if Harry comes to the Dursleys already online, complete with spirit animals, and sitting on guides are known, Petunia's not stupid. She's mean, 
but she's not stupid. She's not going to knowingly abuse, abuse an online sentinel or guide. That's the kind of shit that gets you put in jail. Of course, so is child abuse if you actually have a good child protection system. But um, <clears throat> that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I've had to assure every single one of my nieces and nephews that the U.K. actually does have child protective services. Of course they do. Now, I don't think it, I don't even think well they did they, they upon reading the Harry Potter books they were all convinced that that they did not. <laughs> I mean it's not called that it's called something else but yeah yeah it is yeah but uh, yeah they were like well why didn't they save Harry Potter? <laughs> I said because the writer didn't write it that way. <laughs> no Poppy I don't think Poppy knew where Harry Potter was ever because she wasn't a member of. The order. I think that uh, having a sentinel child would be an honor. It would be something that they would be proud to say. That him being a sentinel would be more important than that whole little magical thing he also has. That's something they could brag about. So that might, you could use that as a as a way to um, improve Harry's growing up circumstances and turn the Dursleys into at least semi decent parents. I totally misspelled that word. My dad's it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> somebody suggested in the chat room that maybe Dumbledore has captured and imprisoned Harry's spirit animal um, so, he, so people wouldn't know that Harry um, was a sentinel. Well, number one, there are plenty of other reasons, ways that, that a sentinel child would be identified. He'd be very sensitive to sound, light. Um, his skin would be very sensitive um and removing his spirit animal uh, could do him immense amount of damage and drive him insane. But moreover, I think from a world-building point of view, you want to be very careful about what kind of powers you give magical people over spirit animals. Um, because if sentinels and guides um, are known and they exist in this world, then they know about magical people. And if magical people were that kind of threat to sentinels and guides, there wouldn't be any magical people. Because I can't imagine anything driving a sentinel into a feral episode faster than someone capturing his spirit guide and holding them hostage. <laughs> Unless it's the yeah. outright murder of his guide. <laughs> so you want to be careful with those kinds of um, plot points. While it's an interesting plot point, it has huge ramifications for your world building. Yeah, I think when you start crossing, and that's almost demon-like, um, his dark materials, if they can be interacted with that degree to people who aren't their sentinel or guide. Mm-hmm. I think it would be 
it's just it it has ramifications that you can't ride around. Um, mm-hmm. Because Dumbledore isn't the only really powerful wizard that exists, either now or in the past. And if they had demonstrated that power even once, that Sentinels and guides would have wiped them out. And while they might be able to use magic against people, having someone like a guide who can invade you and render you absolutely helpless, I'm not sure Sentinels and guides would have died, but so would have Magicals in great numbers. So um, I think that in the end, Sentinels... um, who can hear a heartbeat from a mile away with a sniper rifle is more of a threat than a wizard with a wand. They can shoot you through your house without even setting eyes on you with the right kind of weapon. So, no, I don't think that it would be appropriate to give magical is that kind of power over sentinels and guides because it sets up a a heinous amount of threat that you can't ride around. At least not believably. There's just too much. It makes the suspension of disbelief almost impossible. The suspension of belief. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, a magical couldn't even hide from a sentinel in an invisibility cloak. I mean, I would think magicals could do something to help hide themselves a little bit. Obviously, I mean, if you're going to do it, where especially depending upon how you write it, if Muggle sentinels are not aware of magicals. They have to be doing something to be able to hide themselves. Right. But, and there, you could even have that be that sent, the sentinel, the the magical sentinels and guys are kept very separate. Yeah, the world building is complicated, and you really have, well, actually, it's not that complicated. But you have a lot of stuff to work out to make sure it's logically consistent how everything works together, and it helps to get a sounding board for that to make sure that you're covering your bases and not having something that doesn't make sense because um, if they can, but the thing is I would think in the middle of, they might have wards that keep the magical sentinels from muggle sentinels from finding the magical world, but you can't just throw up those kinds of wards in the middle of um, Surrey. It, it's gonna, that, that would be its own red flag. It's like sentinels would be like, why can't I smell anything in that house? Why can't I hear That's anything really weird. in that house? Yeah, the the void would be its own clue. So um, you can't, I mean, so somebody might choose to try to address the issue, like if they want to keep Harry the Dursleys, they might try to address that by saying there are wards that prevent sentinels from smelling or hearing what's going on in the house. But that in itself is a problem because that lack of sound, that lack of scent, something is going to clue them in. And... It, I, it actually is very difficult to um, reconcile some of that, which is one of the reasons why if I'm going to have Harry come online young, I would have him have him removed from the home young. And also that in a world where, the, where there's muggle sentinels, that I don't think he's going to be abused for very long. So um, 
Yeah, it's a big giant plot hole in every single one of my Sentinel stories. It's really annoying. <clears throat> yeah, it, you could do it. You could do an idea. Somebody mentioned this in the chat. You could do an idea where magical Sentinels have died out, um, and Harry is the reawakening of them. But you still have a, a lot of the plot problems, the world building issues with that, because you still have the issue of how are magicals hiding themselves from Sentinels. It, that doesn't solve the issue of, you know, Harry's going to be, I think in a world, this is just what makes sense to me, in a world where Sentinels exist, in, in any numbers where there's a governance of them, okay? So once you, once you institute things like, if you have things like centers and there's a council or, or some kind of governing body, once there's enough of them to justify their own system of support and governance, they're not so rare that Harry is going to be abused for 10 years. It just doesn't make sense. So also, I think that accord with magicals and sentinels is a really good idea. The, the essence of a sentinel is to protect. And sentinels and guides would know that magical people um, and muggles aren't ready to be integrated. They probably know that better than anybody else if they've had to fight for their own rights and um, considerations to the point where, you know, so I think that Sentinels and guides would probably work to keep magical secrets for their own protection. But they would also work to keep muggles safe from magical people. So they would need agreements and with magical governments to say, hey, there's this asshole wizard over here, and you need to come do something about him before I do. You know. Mm-hmm. I do think there's something to be said. We talk, I think we talked about this idea on one of the podcasts where we talked about Harry Potter and Sentinels. Is that it does make sense that when you become a Sentinel or guide, there's a strong chance you're going to find out about the magical world, and you could even have it be. Um, that Sentinels and Guides are a magical legacy, and it's the only magical legacy people, quote-unquote, who are muggles still have. So that in a way, Sentinels and Guides are actually part of the magical world, even if, but it may be the only way their magic expresses itself. Um, that would actually solve your issue about the words thing to a degree, is that if Sentinels and Guides are aware of magic, then they would be aware of wards. And, but the thing is, it's still going to make them suspicious. <laughs> because and why is there would the a magical ward household keep out, right there? Would a ward keep out a guide? I don't think you I – mean, I, I don't I, – it depends upon what your world building is around what causes a guide's gift. If you're saying it's magical – you, they probably could build magical wards that would prevent them from using their abilities. But if it's not magical, if it's from a different, if it's or if it's a different source of magic, I would think not. But also, yeah, that works under the assumption that Harry never leaves the house. Because the moment he steps outside those wards, he goes to school. I had this. They're I had this both. conversation about conversation about. Um, but in a world where the guys. guys are known, I don't think Virginia and Vernon will keep Harry in the cupboard out of fear. Yeah, I agree. Because child abuse would just be... I mean, even beyond just being a muggle, 
that child abuse would be really, really rare in in a world where sitting on guides are. Yeah. And it wouldn't be systematic. When I talk- I had this conversation about the whole Sentinels are known universe thing with somebody around a Teen Wolf idea they had where they wanted Sentinels and Guides to be discovering, you know, a Sentinel for the first time in like 2012, werewolves. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. If werewolves have always existed and Sentinels and Guides have always existed, they know about each other. There's no way they don't. And they said, well, Sentinels and Guides are really rare. And I go, well, if they're that rare that they've never run across it, they haven't crossed paths with a rare werewolf, then they don't have any kind of governance. They don't have – and the same thing with – those same basic principles would apply straight into the Harry Potter world, which is you, you can't have competent sentinels and guides and yet have them be oblivious. So, um, no, I, yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't think they would, would hurt him. In that way, but I, they could still be starved. They could still be depriving him of food. But again, you come into that issue. Um, nobody in Harry's life ever has mentioned to a sentinel guy we need to have a child evaluated or something like that. Because I would think that um, guides would be well suited to evaluating children that are suspected to be from neglectful homes. I I would think that one of the um, that every school in a system would be visited by a sentinel and guide pair on the regular. Mm-hmm. It just makes sense that if sentinels and guides and their abilities are part of protecting society, that they're part of protecting the most vulnerable members. So, building a plot on the that hinges on sentinels and guides being oblivious to Harry being mistreated or them being oblivious to the magical world, it's a difficult proposition to build that. It's not impossible, but you have to really address a lot of the issues that cause suspension of disbelief. So, um, Harry coming online young. Oh, yeah, yeah, sentinels and guides being squibs as well. And it would be really interesting um, if signals and guides just weren't particularly on the whole magical, like there was one here or there, but most of the time signals and guides are squibs. And then along comes Harry Potter, and what if Dumbledore like, oh, shit, he's a squib. <laughs> We're fucked. But he's not. But they just assume he is because he's sentinel. And when he's young, all his they- magic is in in his on his sentinel abilities. Well, because if they think he's a, if they think he's a, um, um, squib, then he wouldn't be hiding him at Petunias. He'd probably dump him in an orphanage. Dumbledore, Hagrid brings Harry Potter to Dumbledore. And he already has a spirit animal with him. They think killing curse or the watching his mother be murdered made him come online as a sentinel because he's not magical. Because he's a squid. Had not 
kill, tried to kill Peter Pettigrew. He's hunting for him. But if Dumbledore thinks that Harry Potter is a squib, he has no reason to keep serious on that path, which I think even even in canon he did on purpose. Mm-hmm. So he has somebody waylay Sirius and get him calmed down, and then he gives Sirius Black his godson because what use does he have for a squib? Well, probably none, for which we would be grateful. And he wouldn't find out differently until the Hogwarts letters went out. Of course, it also it creates a situation where it would be difficult for you to write Sirius having any deep mistrust of of Dumbledore unless he's done things in the interim or in between um, the two events to make Sirius not trust him. So Sirius wouldn't be leery of sending Harry to, to Hogwarts. Well, it could be. You could have Sirius. I mean, Sirius is initially angry, right? He's he's reacting at. Um... Okay, where was I going with that thought? He's reacting at at Pettigrew's obvious betrayal. Um, but by the time he gets Harry, um, he well, you could have him be arrested. And Dumbledore just hasn't mentioned that. I'm like, he could be like, well, but hmm. you have to really work the timing really carefully because Dumbledore, it's always my head, Kayla, that Dumbledore had to know Sirius was not the secret keeper because Dumbledore cast the Fidelis, right? Yeah. So Yeah, I think you'd have to really work the timing so that there'd be some act of betrayal in there where Dumbledore didn't disclose that he knew who the secret keeper was. Um, well, see, there is so much time to... between them dropping Harry Potter off at Petunia's and Sirius and Peter meeting on the street. It's like six or seven days, isn't it? It's well, yeah, because Harry. It's within twenty four. It's twenty four hours that Harry is dropped off. It's the next night. Right. Um, so D- Dumbledore isn't going to want to keep this kid. This this squid who's no use to him. So he's not going to keep him six or seven days and wait for Sirius to get caught confronting Peter and have that whole thing blow up. No, probably not. So he's going to send for Sirius because I don't need this kid. Activate the will. Here's your godson. Fuck off. <laughs> because Go away, Lord man. Go is, away. He he discarded Harry to begin with with the, with the Dursleys until he was useful. Now this kid is absolutely not useful at all. So he isn't going to keep him. For any length of time. In fact, he probably wouldn't even send Hagrid to get him. 
because we know that Snape got there before Hagrid did. Snape would have seen Harry with the spirit animal when he went in there to clutch at Lily Pollard's dead body, which is movie canon, I think, instead of book canon. Um, And he would have reported back to Dumbledore that that Harry survived, but he's a squib because he came online as a sentinel. And so Sirius would have gone into house to get Harry, would have come out with him, and Hagrid wouldn't have been there to interfere. So Sirius so would have stayed focused to... on the baby. Yeah, and so if you don't want Dumbledore to interfere, and or you have to do stuff to have something else happen that would breed suspicion between Sirius and Dumbledore. Otherwise, Harry winds up right back under his thumb. So there's no reason that Sirius wouldn't reveal it. If you don't foster that suspicion, there's no reason that Harry wouldn't, um, that Sirius wouldn't tell Dumbledore when Harry manifested with magical abilities. He would tell him. Yeah, or- he absolutely would. The one thing I have a little quirk in my head I have a problem Plotting any idea That means that Harry doesn't go to Hogwarts I I don't know It's like I have this block um, I have no problem with I that. had to uh, <laughs> I had to arrest Dumbledore at the end of the legacy so Harry Potter could go to Hogwarts. (laughs) I was like, fuck it, I can't do it. He has to go to Hogwarts and ride the little boat. (laughs) It hurt my feelings when I wrote Harry Potter and a Soulmate Lawn that he didn't get to ride the boats with the first year. (laughs) I almost let him, because that is the only part of the first movie that I watched and enjoyed. (laughs) <laughs> What's the part with the boats? With the boats. I don't know why that doesn't bother me, um, not sending Harry to um not sending Harry to Hogwarts, but it doesn't bother me at all. The only other thing that bothers me worse is a non magical AU. If I'm gonna read well, Harry Potter, no. I'm gonna have some fucking magic. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? That's just crazy talk. <laughs> there are other things I can read if I don't want magic. <laughs> yeah. It, now I used to feel that way about Teen Wolf non 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 werewolf Teen Wolf AUs, but I kind of got over that a little bit. But I've never run across a Harry Potter non magical AU that I didn't just nope out of within a page. I'm like, nope, nope, no, no, no. I don't think Sirius, you said this is from the chat, but Sirius was willing to prioritize revenge against Pettigrew over caring for Harry. Would Harry have been his first priority if he appeared to be a squib and therefore not like James? I think that it's important to separate Sirius, who Sirius was after Azkaban, with the young grieving man that felt compelled to give Harry to Hagrid when Hagrid demanded him. 
I think he fell to revenge because he didn't have Harry. And whether or not Harry was magical or a squib, Sirius isn't like his family, and Sirius loves Harry. He would have focused entirely on Harry, maybe even more if he knew he was a squib, because this baby is absolutely dependent on him, and he is all Harry has left. Yeah, I think there. I mean, there is there is room to interpret, um, to take different spins on Sirius's character, um, and you certainly could take a negative spin on on Sirius when he was younger or older, for that matter. I mean, I've read plenty of stories where Sirius can't separate Harry from James when he gets out of Azkaban. Um, it's not the way I would choose to write Sirius personally, but certainly it's. It, I think that it's an interpretation that canon supports to some degree. It's one of those things where you can turn a character a few degrees from where they are. Um, it's just not the way I would want to imagine Sirius personally. I'm, I'm more a, 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 of the mind that he would be devoted to Harry regardless of um, whether he was magical or a squib. And maybe, and considering that he's his godfather, there's every reason to believe that Sirius would know, wouldn't believe him to be a squib, even if he did see the spirit animal. Yeah, and that actually could be the dismissive point. That could be the the fracture point, is that Dumbledore is completely dismissive of Harry, and any potential threat to Harry, ongoing threat to Harry from the Death Eaters, because he doesn't think he's magical and now has no use for him. And that could be really offensive to Sirius. Yeah, especially since he was discarded by his own family. Yeah. Because he sorted into Gryffindor. Therefore, he was useless to them. I think he would be militantly protective of of, of Harry in those circumstances. And since... I, and since Dumbledore had to know that Peter Pettigrew was the secret keeper, I just, I don't know how he could have believed anything else. He knew where they were, who told him. Yeah. Well, the wards had to have fallen. Um, I mean, the Fidelis had to have fallen, because if the Fidelis didn't fall, um their bodies would have just been left in that. I mean, I mean, there, there's, there's actually, we, we've, I think we've, I think, I think we've talked about the plot holes around the Fidelis um, before. That it is, it, it in and of itself is its own series of contradictions that make no sense. Because, um, and also. It depends on how it's worded, because I just did something in Dr. Lull where Draco asked Harry if the secret for Grimwald Place was hiding the location itself or what the location was. So Harry just told Dobby where to go, but he didn't tell Dobby that number 12 was the headquarters for the Order of the Phoenix, which was how the fucking secret was worded. 
Well, that kind of to me implied that Fidel doesn't work on house elves, which is again another everything about honestly everything about how house house elves function functions is like a plot hole. Because why couldn't he just have told, hey, hey, Voldemort, just go to Godric Hollow and walk around until you see an empty spot where a house should be, and that's probably where Lily and James are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did he really exactly. need the fucking address? Just do a detection spell and find the biggest amount of magic in the town. Because the Fidelis has to be a huge amount of magic. Well, there's also some implication that, that the Fidelis also kind of mind rapes a bunch of people. Because people seem to forget that there ever used to be a house there. Yeah. Yeah. Even the muggles forgot. Yeah. So you have, like, when number 12 Grimrald plays, when they put that under the that was also non-plottable, though. So, I mean, but the thing is, if you cast the Fidelis in the middle of Muggle London and everybody forgets there was ever something there, haven't you basically just mind-raped a bunch of people? Mm -hmm. I mean, the implications of a lot of the magic they use is really ugly. Well, in that case, Muggle repelling charms are, are no different. Any manipulative magic used to hide magic is essentially mind rape. Or assault, at the very least. Well, I think of, like, the the charms that make Hogwarts look like um, a ruin. I think of that more as, like, somebody wearing a disguise as opposed to um, affect... It's affecting their perception based upon the magic on the person, on the object. So the object has a disguise on it, and so the person's perception of it is affected, as opposed to affecting the mind of the person who's looking at it, which a repelling charm in its way does, right? So mm-hmm. the disguise charms, the charms of the, the spells that disguise something and make you think it's something it's not, I think of that as being more of a, you know, if you look at it, you're going to see, and you don't have magic, you're not going to see what's really here, because it's and look, you have to have magic to see through the thing. That's but not if that was you and you mind. found that out, wouldn't that be offensive as fuck, though? To you? Um, I think I think it is offensive, but by the same token, I think it's less intrusive than actively going into somebody's mind and altering their perception. If somebody says, there's disguised magic on this thing, if you don't have the right necklace or the right whatever, you're not going to know what this thing really is. That has to do with the thing as opposed to the, me being affected. But changing somebody's perception of what a thing is with magic is completely different to me. When you actually alter with the way their mind works, that really is pushing at some consent boundaries. Signals and guides would be um, immune to being obliviated, um, especially in my head canon with psionic um, energy and shields um, that, that they work so hard to protect each other that um, 
that with their spirit guides and all that and the animals, I just don't think that um, that, that would really work well on them. I think they would also um, be immune to behavioral charms and perhaps even yeah. serious. Uh, the obliviation spells and stuff, that's butt ugly. That was always, like, a really butt ugly part of... Um... But, you know, there's there's actually a lot of really ugly magic that's presented as being perfectly okay. We've talked about love potions and um, obliviation when you take some of these memories. Um, I would actually call... And they they act like it's just pretty, pretty run-of-the-mill, but I would think that's dark-ass magic, man. Mm-hmm. Is a love potion really any different from the Imperius? Not in my opinion. Even if it's temporary, I don't think it's any different. Even if it only lasts for an hour or two, um, I don't think it's any different. No, I agree. And it, it, really is all, um, it really is all about how it's treated, right? Because if they treat a love potion in a story like it's a bad thing, like you're subverting someone's will and therefore it's a crime, okay, love potion, fine. But when people treat it like it's just sort of like the way Canon did, which is like, Oh, it's just part of going to school. If someone might dose you with a love potion, make you feel different, feel things you don't really feel. Um, I don't even know what to do with that. Well, you know, that kind of memory um, or modification, like the obliviate, the, the obliviate is actually really common in fiction. You see it in Men in Black. You saw it in, um, uh, what's it, uh, Torchwood. Um I've seen it somewhere else too. I wouldn't say really common, but the the theme itself is not only common, but in those verses, acceptable. Mm -hmm. I lost all. Now, I really didn't like Gwen much to begin with, but when she retconned her own husband, I was done. She perfect. She confessed to having an affair to alleviate her own conscience. And then she turned around and retconned the man so he wouldn't remember it. <sighs> and this kind of stuff is just okay. It's like it's a, that's just that's just the way everybody's going to behave. I'm like the only no. time in fiction, I've ever been on board with memory modification is when when Will Smith conned um, Edgar's wife and told her to get a life. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> she deserved better. <laughs> that was justified. She needed a better life. She deserved one. <laughs> her husband got ate by a giant alien cockroach. From the inside out. <laughs> she had she had shopping coming. She did. Well, and the thing is, they were, the thing is, he was going to leave her. Um, Kay was going to leave her. Or was it, I can't remember which one of them was which. Kay was going to leave her in a bad place. Um, yeah, he was. And Jay's like, no, uh, <laughs> we're not doing that to her. <laughs> Clean this place up and. You know, take care of you. You don't need that man. <laughs> At least, I said they used memory magic. They did use memory magic um, in in Buffy, but they never portrayed it as being acceptable because when people found out that Willow had been fucking with their their minds, 
they weren't exactly happy about it. They didn't just go, oh, okay, that's just part of being a slayer. You know, nobody was thrilled with what Willow did. Um, I think that the consequences were kind of, I would never speak to anybody again who had fucked with my mind like that. So no, I'm me neither. that part of it. Yeah, people in, in, in these movies and shows where people fuck with each other's minds, they always kind of somehow manage to get over it. I, I would get a restraining order. I would be get. I get a gun. I'd be like, if, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill your ass. This is not acceptable. What are it's you doing? It's like the most abusive version of gaslighting that I can think of. Yeah. And gaslighting in itself is abusive, but then you add on to that that kind of manipulation. It's just. Although I read, I was reading a fic, and. Um... It's uh, it was kind of cracky, and uh, Harry got really pissed off at Draco when he did that spell at Hermione and met her teeth grow. That he pinned him down on the floor and pulled his teeth out. Right, dude. So it was terrible. Um, very brutal. Um, so the next day, Draco acted like nothing happened and even smirked and shot. Harry, the the equivalent of the British bird or whatever. And Harry was like, how does he not... And then he asked Neville what happens when a magical person has a severe physical trauma. And Neville told him that in the magical world that part of healing is often to suppress the memory of the pain and the event that got them injured. So these assholes were never learning from their mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, probably <laughs> true. I have no problem and believing like, this. That actually makes a whole lot of sense. It, it just it just makes like ten kinds of sense that, that that they really don't learn from their mistakes. It was very funny. I stopped reading it, but I forget why. <clears throat> But I think, I think for for, when it comes to go ahead. I was gonna say if you go for drama, it will be a really good place for Harry to come online as a sentinel. Um just for just just for pure dramatic you know, circumstances. Uh the first task in his spirit animal is a dragon bigger than that horn tail. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no nah, that would work. You need to sit down. <laughs> You need to sit the fuck down. It's like smog. Sit down. <laughs> We're not playing this game. Give him that gold egg. It's not yours. <laughs> um, or you could have another dramatic time to have Harry come online. Could be um, the minute he sets foot in Hogwarts. Like he sets foot in the front great hall and he comes online, his spirit animal shows up. I lost the chat room. Why did I close the thingy? Earlier I said something about Dumbledore suppressing um, Harry's abilities as a sentinel. What if Dumbledore did do that, suppressed him, not his animal, but suppressed Harry, like some kind of magical block or something, which I don't, it's very, 
very hinky. But what if when Harry sat down on the stool, the sorting hat saw that block and took it off? I have no problem believing, because I believe Dumbledore is fundamentally a villain. That's the way I look at him. So I have no problem believing that Dumbledore would cast spells on people. I mean, hell, I wrote a story where Dumbledore cast, put magical blocks on, between he and Poppy Pomfrey, they put magical blocks on, like, the majority of Wizarding Britain. The troll incident. That would be a dramatic moment. And that could be an interesting thing is that if there is a house, there used to be a house for sentinels and guides separate from the four. And if there are, haven't been magical sentinels and guides in so long, nobody's in that house. <laughs> but what if Harry coming online brought all the potential sentinels and guides online? What if that is the power, right, that he's supposed to bring back to the wizarding world? And so he walks into the power great hall. He not. Right, he walks into the great hall and they put the hat on his head and it wakes up all the guide, sentinel guide potentials in the Great Hall. Hufflepuff. <laughs> Every single one of them is a Hufflepuff. I think it would be, I don't know, I mean, it would, I think if you were going to do that, you would have to build in protections for the, um, for the Sentinels and Guides coming online, that, that obviously they would all be unbonded, um, and they would have to be, that they would have to have some kind of intrinsic protection from their spirit guide. Otherwise, you would have a hell of a lot of traumatized children in that room. I mean, even the ones who didn't come online could be traumatized by what happened to the kids who came online. Because <laughs> you know? if you're sitting True. And, so, and suddenly your roommates start screaming their head off and they're covered in a rash and, you know, their nose starts bleeding, <laughs> just all kinds of shit happening, um, it will traumatize the whole fucking hall. What will be really interesting is if Minerva came online too. Maybe the only staff member that comes online. You'd want the magic to resonate out of Hogwarts. Um, In my last Sentinel story that I wrote for Harry Potter, uh, Hogwarts sits on a ley lake, and that lake feeds ley lines all over the world. And that's why Dumbledore, that's why Riddle wants Hogwarts, so he can control that lake, and therefore control magic all over the planet. I could see it. What if if there were no Sentinels and Guides, none? And when in Harry steps foot in the world, left. They're extinct. Um, and when Harry sets foot in Hogwarts, 
he comes online as a sentinel, and that magic resonates out from Hogwarts to cover the whole planet. And wake up the whole planet? Wake up all of the magical sentinel and guides. And the all sentinels and all guides are magical. That'd be interesting. It's purely a magical trait. That would solve all the problems with, you know, sentinels and guides not observing what was going on with Harry. Because there are none. Right. It would be chaotic, but if they were magical, they would um, they'd be more used to dealing with the weird, I would think. If it was if if it was a magical trait and with probably a few corner cases, exception a few corner cases, these people who had been to, attended magical schools would know how to get to their magical nearby magical hospital. Um, and it wouldn't be the same numbers of people well, no, it wouldn't be millions because I don't think there are millions of magical people anyway, much less if some percentage of magical people came online. Well, you could say that if you don't want too many signals at Hogwarts, and you don't, um, less than 1%. Yeah, that seems like a good number. I read a story once where um, it's just it's one of the things you have to think face things through and like do calculations on numbers of people where it's like 10% of the population was a sentinel or guide, 10%. And yet the nearest center for handling things, these people like lived just as a, a it was like, it was, let's say it was four hours away. Okay, so like you live in Washington D.C., but if you want Sentinel Guide support, you have to go to New York. And yet, ten percent of the population are Sentinels and Guides, and that's just a failure to think through the logistics of the world building. That doesn't make sense. You can't have ten percent of the population have something in a major city and there not be support for that in that city. Well, but you have that problem. If you have them be squibs up to that point, you have the problem with them living in the muggle world and a bunch of muggles who have no support from magical institutions suddenly coming online with super senses that the muggle world can't explain and the muggle world is not used to dealing with stuff like that and they would probably um, get hurt because they're going to go to muggles for help, not magicals. So I think you'd actually have a potential ripple of all the sentinels and guides being squibs, I think you'd have a ripple that could get really ugly. Okay, apparently it's stated in the books that there are ten times more muggles than there are wizards in the world. That number doesn't make the any population, sense. The population of muggles in, in the 1990s would be around 5 billion which would mean that there was a population of wizards of around 500 million. I don't think that kind of population is hideable. 
I it's don't not think hideable. Could... It doesn't. It, it it doesn't make sense. How could there be only what a thousand kids at Hogwarts? If there's and that's the school for the for the UK, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, even in the 1990s, that that the number is a little. It's completely wackadoodle, is what it is. I think at that number, society would be fully integrated. Yeah, there'd be, you know, yeah. There have to be a whole bunch of schools, both in Britain, uh, across Europe, and definitely in the United States. There cannot just be one magical school in the United States. That's ridiculous. There would have to be, if you live in a town that had 100 schools, you would need 10 magical schools. That's just the way those numbers shake out. If there were that many people, if there were that many magical yeah. people. But that kind that of magical fil- society could not be hidden unless they're in an no. alternate dimension, which is what I always thought that she should have done instead of just doing them hiding in our world. They should have been living in a pocket dimension. Should have been, but then the, then none of canon would have happened because it's just well. But if you're having a magical Muggle integration thing, then people would clue into the fact that Harry is a um, wizard very quickly, and his childhood wouldn't have happened the way it did. So, I mean, basically, if you're going to do an AU where where um, that you where magical the magical world is known, you have to completely recon, reconstruct canon because nothing makes sense anymore. But just just throw that ten percent number out the door. It makes less sense than like almost it's anything ridiculous. else. That's but I would say less than one percent of magicals would have sentinel potential. And then there would be some who couldn't come online for various reasons. Um severe physical disability, um severe mental trauma. I mean, I don't think anybody living in Azkaban could come online. No, probably not. Treve Harry. Harry, um, both Hermione and Ron had been sending him letters. So they knew his address. They weren't just sending letters to Harry Potter. They had to be Harry Potter at Privet Drive in the smallest bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Well, I imagine what they actually did was follow their owl in the flying car. It's always in my head, Ken, that they sent the owl with a letter to Harry and followed the owl to him to retrieve him. One of the things I do like about reading Harry Potter fan fiction, I mean, there's many things, but one of the things I find is I love to see how people plug in those plot holes. Like, right. you know, that when, Harry, when Harry's in hiding, that he's behind wards that owls can't get through because owls are really the biggest security risk of all time. Yeah. 
So it, it just, I think it's great that people see these things. They see these plot holes. They try to plug so plug them in. But, I mean, nothing changes the fact that Harry Potter, the whole universe is just rife with plot holes that are almost impossible to completely deal with them all without completely restructuring the universe. It's deeply unfortunate, but I think that that's true. Well, if someone had to hand address the letters, I don't think that the letter thing would have cut, would have gone gotten through would, would have slipped through. But I, it's never been my. Um, I've always assumed that the that um, that the letters were some function between like of the sort sort of like the the book, the Hogwarts you know student registry that it's something that happens automatically. But also, you know, plot holes are a gift. <laughs> They are. If we didn't have plot holes, you could do a lot with them. If the Harry Potter universe was tight, we probably wouldn't be writing in it as much as we do. Yeah, well, that, you know, there that, there's a reason I don't write in Babylon 5 and in Farscape, because they're perfect and they don't need me. <laughs> That's right. I thought those fandoms <laughs> would agree with you. <laughs> but, um, uh, I think that for me, uh, my go-to pairing for Sentinel Harry, uh, while I've written him with Draco um, in Flight, I think that they're too much alike to be a good Sentinel and Guide pair. Oh, I don't agree. But it's just my head headcanon for them. Um They both need, but, as I said, they they need something soft, and neither one of them are. And it doesn't have to be a female character; it can be a male character. But Harry is is and Draco are two sides of the same coin. They're kind of broken, and that works when they're not a sentinel or a guide. But I think if they're sentinel or guide, they they need somebody to plug in their brakes, and neither one of them can do it for the other. That's just my personal headcanon. So it was it was difficult riding flight because I felt like I was missing something. It, even though I changed Harry's background, it, it just it, it wasn't enough, which is why I changed Harry's background to have him being raised by Sirius in the hopes that I could, you know, kind of even him out. But I still felt in the background like I I wasn't getting what I wanted out of it. Is that more function of your OTP, or is that kind of more? No, I, I totally shipped the hell out of Harry with Draco, and I totally shipped the hell out of um, Harry, Hermione, and Draco, and even honestly, Draco and Hermione in some circumstances. Um, I think Cause I mean Neville I've read I've read Hermione's guide, guide, but I I could I could never write it. I don't see her as a guide personally at all, like even a tiny bit. I would write her as a sentinel way before I would ever attempt to write her as a guide. I've written her as both, and I like her better as a sentinel. But some ideas you want Harry to be the sentinel, and but I would you know honestly I think that uh, Neville would be a better guide to either Harry or Draco. 
than they would to be to each other. Because he's calm and steady and strong and... It kind of depends on how much how entrenched you are in canon. Because if you're writing a universe where sentinels and guides exist in the magical world, I, but the, this is again a thing of where you have to restructure canon. I think things come out really differently. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's it's I I don't know that I would if I were writing a sentinel guide verse in Harry Potter. I don't think I would use any of the kids. Um, I would like to see Sirius as a sentinel with a hot-ass guide <laughs> of your choice. <laughs> hot-ass guide of your choice. But I'm not at all opposed to Idris Elba <laughs> playing that part. Now, I, see, I, would, of, I would cast let me show you guys a preview. Of I'm going to show the people in the chat room a preview of a upcoming um, Thursday vignette. I think it might be the one that gets Jilly to write from a visual prompt. It might. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, <laughs> Idris Elba is who I cast as Zayd Sar in Slytherin Black. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I know mouth watering. So it could, it could be, it could be that I write like a fanfic of my own fanfic, you know, with um. But you know, also, although that character screams Sentinel. He does scream Sentinel, I, and that's that character. I would say would have to be a Sentinel, yeah. And but I don't have a problem seeing Sirius as a guide, so no, that wouldn't do really be an obstacle. But I've often, I've I've several times tried to plot something where Sirius wound up with Tony Dinozo, and it's never gelled for me. Any of the ideas they came up with, but I could easily do a little short thing where Sirius came online and his guide with Tony. Because mm-hmm. Tony's my bicycle guide, I can put him with anybody. Everybody wants to get on that bike. When his um, get to finagle some dates here. Okay, let's say for instance, in the mid eighties, uh, Peter Pettigrew got found by Arthur Weasley, and they find out that Sirius is innocent. I've never seen that where the Weasleys figure out that he's a they got a fucking anime just living in their house. <laughs> And they free Sirius, because that would be great. <laughs> um, and Sirius gets out, and around the same time, Tony been dumped by his girlfriend at the altar, and instead of going to work for NCIS, he comes to Britain to mend his broken heart. Ah, <laughs> oh, stay with his family. Yeah. Yes. And Sirius sniffs him out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now I just want to write a little vignette. Talk. <laughs> yes. Now, now I just want to write a little vignette where um, that just popped into my head that when Bill goes to work for the for the for Gringotts, that he um, 
upgrades the wards at the family home, and one of the wards he casts an anti-animagus ward, and that's how they catch Pettigrew. Yes. <laughs> it makes just sense something that no one noticed. And considering that animagus, uh, there was remarkably little precaution against animagus, considering that they existed and that they were so able to keep it secret. I mean, the penalty yeah, yeah, there were not like seven or eight registering, but they had no test for it. It didn't like they went around testing you to see if you could do it. And it was an issue with at least three characters in the book. Yeah. One so who was apparently had, not very magical at all. Yeah, you have Pettigrew. You have uh, un, 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 how many unregistered animations in the book? Were there more than three? Because we had Skeeter, um, Sirius Black, and Pettigrew. But that's just three. We also had so, James. Well, yeah, James was dead, though. Yeah, but still, he managed to do it in school and not ever get caught. So it clearly is something that's quite hideable. Um, so a lot more people could be. So the fact that people don't protect against it was just crazy cakes. And anybody who had ever been an animagus would know just how easy it was to hide that you were an animagus. So it just didn't, never quite made sense that they didn't protect themselves better. And if they had, so much would have been different. So much. Let's see. I'm, I'm looking at the timeline for Tony. Um, yeah, he'd be young, but you uh, said, I mean, not helpful. Lockwood's <laughs> on was not helpful at all. <laughs> um, if you go with his canon birthday, he would be 21, I think, at 89. Um, I don't use his canon birthday because it doesn't make sense with his job history. Um, and if I use the dates I usually go by, then. He'd be really young. Um, I'm five years younger than that, so he would be 16. Um, so that wouldn't, 89 wouldn't work, but um, 90, 80, it would work if he was born in 68. But yeah, he wouldn't have any job history at that point. He'd be in couple, but you know, that's where you can kind of change things up. You have him um, going to school in, in, in England instead of in America, and he's in college. He's at the university. He's at university when Sirius comes online. Maybe his father refused to pay for it, but his Uncle Clive agreed to pay for it if he would come to Europe. Yeah, so he's you know Cambridge or Oxford or something, and that's how he meets his sentinel. Sirius Black. in the chat room if Draco was a sentinel or a guide would Lucius have raised him I think it greatly depends on a couple of things is it an honor to be a sentinel or guide or is it considered something quite muggle do they know from birth that he has the potential to be a sentinel or a guide is it something that magical people can sense or, or know from testing or is this something that they won't find out until he comes online. Yeah, you have to step through every bit of that world building very carefully. All of Lucius's faults in canon, he loves his son. Yeah. Um, And everything he does, as heinous as it is, 
he's just trying to keep his son and his his family alive. And when it's all over at the end, what's he do? He doesn't try to keep fighting. He he looks for his family. So when Cannon Lucius is problematic and he's not a good person, he and he's dark as fuck, but he is dedicated to the protection of his family. I think if you took that route, um, that he would do everything he could to protect his son, including hiding the fact that he was a sentinel or a guide, if it could potentially be against him. Now, unbonded sentinel is very it can be very vulnerable. So I think that he would do a lot to protect him. And if he found out that Harry Potter was his son's guide, I think he'd go all in on making sure his son had the best possible protection he could, which is a guide. (laughs) Oh, you need a guide. Let's get you one. Where can we get one of those? Oh, here, Harry. Here is your room. Here are your things. You're going to need some more clothes. We'll take care of it. The driving trip. Don't worry about them, darling. They will not be a problem for you ever again. (laughs) We're down to 36 seconds. We might do this again tomorrow and kind of continue the conversation if Julie's going to be available. I will be available. And so um, say goodnight, and we'll catch you guys tomorrow. Good night.